Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight, continuing our series on the book of Job. The title of our message is The Power of Pain. Pain can make us better or bitter, more humble or more defiant, or it can cause us to draw close to God or to turn away from Him. And I've seen people, because of pain, turn away from the Lord. And Job has been in a lot of pain, and it has changed him, and we're going to see how. And because of what Job has been through, he asserts he would treat his friends differently than they are treating him. And so, number one, we, just, we studied, pain can sensitize us to the suffering of others. It's easier to identify with someone who is hurting if you've gone through the same thing. And God may not cause our pain, but he will use it. And he'll use it for his glory and for our good. And he also enables us to comfort other people. I mean, it, it's amazing how this... This cycle of life God has created for us that we suffer and then we're healed so that we can be a part of the healing of others who suffer the same way. And so how does God comfort one another through people who have been through the same things? And so it's just it's powerful how God has set this up that that he uses us to minister to one another. And so Job is, goes on to, to detail his personal hell that he is going through. And he says, me or my, over 20 times in just a few verses, because he had become absolutely self-centered, self-focused, and consumed by his pain and suffering. So our second point was, pain can make us narcissistic. It can sensitize us to the suffering of others, but it can also desensitize us to the suffering of others when we focus only on our pain and what we are going through. And when we're in chronic pain, it's hard It's hard to care about anybody else's pain when you're going through it yourself. And ironically, though, if we obsess over our pain, it only makes it worse. If we focus on our pain and everywhere it hurts, it can actually make it more difficult. And part of that pain is because Job is blaming God for what he's going through. And sometimes that's what we do. We blame others for our pain. And and indeed, others may have caused our pain. But how many know once you're aware of something, you're responsible? And if God makes us aware of what we've been through, especially through the power of forgiveness, and this is one of the hardest things to do when we've been wounded by someone, but it's the best thing we can do for our sake. And so one of the things, I want to put up this statement that I mentioned last week. Forgiveness must be given, but trust must also be earned. And so um, we have a guest with us last Wednesday, Trey. Is Trey here tonight? Trey? He uh, was his first time last Wednesday night, and he came up to me after service, and he said, I agree with that statement, but where is it found in Scripture? And I said, great, great point. How many times we quote things that aren't in Scripture (laughs) and treat them like they are? You know, like a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. That's not in the Bible. It's a neat little saying. Ours are like, um, God will never give you anything more you can handle, which is not quite what the scripture says. It's in the context of, of temptation in Hebrews that God will not give us a temptation that we cannot overcome, but he'll provide a way of escape. And so 
It is important if we're going to make biblical statements that we have biblical evidence and backing for it. So I went on a quest to find the biblical uh, affirmation of this point of view. Now, here are some implicit scriptures, but not necessarily explicit. And so, in other words, it's implied, that principle is implied, but not word for word. So let me see if this will satisfy any of you. Because here's the, here's the principle, that we are to forgive, but trust has to be earned in, in many cases. And so what are some biblical evidences for that? Be thinking about it yourself, or stories in the Bible where someone was, broke trust and had to rebuild it. So be thinking that maybe you have some other scriptures or stories as well. So let's go with Titus 3.10. That's what we discussed last week. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time, and after that have nothing to do with him. I think that principle is in there. Somebody has been divisive, they've sinned, so you warn them, and they're to earn trust by not doing it again, but if, you, if they do it again, again you forgive, but, but warn, yes, you know, this is your second chance, and then after that have nothing to do with them. So I do think the principle is sound based on this scripture. Any thoughts on this scripture? Yes. Yes. That's excellent. You're you're right on. We're afraid to forgive because they may get away with it, <laughs> or or it or it absolves them, as you said, of any responsibility. And you know what? It doesn't. When we turn someone over to God, He will deal with them. And we talked about it on Sunday that He, you know, vengeance belongs to the Lord. He will repay, but. Our fear and forgiveness is that they get off scot-free and, and we're still in pain. But the reality is, is forgiveness sets us free from the pain. But at the same time, if somebody has violated your trust multiple times, you're not required to continue to keep them in your life. Yes, dog returning to its vomit, Second Peter 2.22. Yes, and so... Uh, that's why I think there are situations where people are enduring things they shouldn't have to, like abuse or something along those lines. And so, uh, you know, and again, we have to handle that on a case-by-case basis. So I think the principle is in there. Let's try another scripture. Yes, before we do. Yes. <laughs> you, you've got a good point. He didn't kill them, but he, brought, he put them through the ringer, didn't he? Yeah, put his silver goblet in one of the... So that may have been part of earning trust. And also, the irony was they spoke in Hebrew. Well, he knew Hebrew, and they didn't know that. So that's a good example, I think. Here's another one, Matthew 3, 7, and 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers... That's a great way to open a door of friendliness. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath. Verse 8, this is critical. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So true repentance has evidence. There's a fruit of it. So, oh, I'm so sorry. 
Well, where's the fruit of your sorrow? The fruit of it is change or asking forgiveness and not doing that again. So I think that's clearly a scripture that says trust has to be earned sometimes. Um, because if, we've, if we're really sorry, if we're really repenting, then there should be evidence of that in our life and how we treat other people. Does that sound good? Yes. 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 Unfortunately, we only have two cheeks. <laughs> so after the third one, you're done. Uh, but you're right. This is where, that's the balance. On the one hand, we are to turn the other cheek. We're not, and, and really what that meant is retaliate in kind. You know, we got slapped on the face. We're not to slap them back on the face. Like my mom always told me, two wrongs don't make a right. But it also says if someone wants your cloak, give them your shirt as well. It's all about going the extra mile. But at the same, and, and you always balance scripture with scripture. Because somebody can take one scripture out of context and it make it inaccurate. And so we always balance scripture with scripture. And I, th- and I think that's excellent, Ed, that we, on the one hand, there is a sense of forgiveness. And Jesus said seven times 70. How many times? Peter, because the Pharisees said, you'll have to forgive seven times and that's it. And so Peter said, we were, we've been taught we only have to forgive seven times. And Jesus said, oh no, seven times 70. Yes. Yes. Yes, we can forgive them 490 times, but not trust them 469 of them. So yes, I, th- I think it, we can do both. On the one hand, we always are to forgive. Because if we, you know, and this is really hard, but if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. And in, in a sense, by forgiving what someone's hurt you, you're actually bringing benefit to yourself. You're going to heal faster. You're going to be better. Nonetheless, Jesus said, forgive them seven times 70, but he didn't say trust them seven times 70. Yes? Well, I think that's an, another thing that it, there's different degrees of manipulation. Some are just to get people to do what you want. Other times it can be dangerous and and unhealthy. And so, yeah, I don't think we're to allow ourselves to be manipulated. I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to do. Um, And and sometimes it it needs to be called out. Part of the, the, the practice in being a church is to confront one another in love. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit later. Uh, Let's look at another scripture, Acts 26.20. First to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and to the Gentiles too, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. I think that's a solid scripture to say you can be forgiven, but trust has to be earned. Prove your repentance by your deeds. And so you can forgive someone, but you're going to watch their deeds to see if it's genuine. If it matches, yes, and if it, if it continues. Any thoughts on that scripture? That seems pretty solid, almost, almost explicit. 
Now, this is the one I was mentioning earlier, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And this is a principle God has given us to deal with conflict in the church. If, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, some, uh, some manuscripts just says sins, if your brother sins, so it can be either way, either they've committed a sin and you're a witness to it, or they've sinned against you. Go and show him his fault. I think that's some accountability. If, if somebody's hurt, sinned against you, you're to go to them and confront in love. Hey, that hurt me. Now, let me know there are, time, <laughs> there are times where, I remember who I was talking to that brought this up. I think, it was, I think it was Jay, that we can go to people and say, you know what, I've been mad at you for three years. And you've got it off your chest, but now it's on their back. And they're like, man, I didn't even know anything was going on. Now, if it's a genuine sin, we are. If someone has sinned against you, go to them. Show him his fault just between the two of you. Now, this is is critical. It's got to be private. If somebody has sinned against you, you you, you must forgive them, but you don't have to trust them. In fact, you are to go to them and say, listen, that that grieved me, that hurt me. And, And here's what it says. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Case closed. And then again, so there's forgiveness, there's repentance. Verse 16, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, that's a mouthful in there, but one thing I've learned as a pastor for 38 years is people want to skip steps of Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is how we resolve conflict. And I've found that a lot of people just want the pastor to do it. But I'm not even in the in the arena yet. I'm, getting, I'm down there. I'm in the, I'm, there's a place to involve your pastor. But how many relationships would be just healed and resolved if we followed the first part of it? Somebody sinned against you, you go to them privately, and if they repent, praise God. Yes? Yes, the Bible in, in, in Proverbs as well says that it's, you know, if you repeat a matter, it can separate close friends. And it's the height of love to overlook an offense. So yes, there is, there is love in that. And one thing we've learned is offense has to be given and taken. Somebody may give an offense, but you don't have to take it. And so that's overlooking a matter like that. But if it's a pattern or you know, it, it continues to be a problem, then I think this kicks in. But I've known so many situations where people came up to me and say, hey, have you heard so-and-so's? in sin. I'm like, why are you telling me? Have you gone to them in private? Well, no. Well, then I can't do anything until you follow the biblical principle. And I really think if we would do this with a, with a pure heart and prayerful heart, then a lot would be resolved before it becomes worse. So the principle of two or three witnesses is all throughout scripture. Someone could not be put to death without two or three witnesses. Someone was accused of murder or something like that. So this principle goes through the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's, there's something about two or three witnesses, confirmation of two or three witnesses. And so again, if, you, if somebody sinned against you, you go to them in private and they say, you know, they, they don't repent. Then your next step is to bring two or three brothers or sisters in the Lord 
Now, these are just call, you know, fellow church members. This isn't even leadership yet. And so you'd take two or three people you both trust and say, I just want to talk to you again about this matter. And there's witnesses. So then verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, basically the church leadership. That would be the, that's where uh, the board or, or, I would, or the pastors would come in. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you kick him out of the church, but you treat him as an unbeliever. So, yes, what? Do I got to give him a third of my check? <laughs> a third of your check? And a, yeah, that's right, that's right. Tax collector, I got you. Yeah, and so this, I think, is another principle of trust has to be earned. If your brother sins and he repents, forgiveness. If he doesn't repent or does it again, then it's a time to have to you know, distance yourself or bring others along to confront the issue. Any thoughts on this scripture? It's hard to follow, but it's biblical. Yes? And pursue it. Mm-hmm. So the Holy Spirit starts really working in that heart, you know, to get chicken in my office to study it. And I've learned for years that two can make two better than the Lord does. True. And I've, I've had two people in my life that were total two can makes two, and one of them is not the Lord. That's my husband. Both of them two can makes two. And I can't meditate on that constantly. Yeah. And it, when I do that, I stay up to this limit because I'm starving for something all the time. Yeah. And I said, I will not argue. Yeah. Well, this is important that you pointed out that this, there's also our relationship with unbelievers. And I believe the turning of the cheek is in the context of unbelievers. Because the church is not going to sanction a believer slapping another believer on the cheek. And so there's a distinction between how we treat the world and how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ. There's more accountability for brothers and sisters in Christ. If a brother smacks you on the cheek, you don't have to turn the other cheek, so to speak. You go, to the, you go through the process of Matthew 18. And that brings accountability. Yes. Yeah. So there was that relationship to where David didn't take any action against Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him, but uh, he still didn't trust that. 
that's a great example because, like you said, Saul apologized many times, and you're more righteous than I, and, and, and David had opportunities to, to kill him and didn't. And so what he did was he ran for his life. So he forgave Saul, but he didn't hang around. He didn't hang around Saul. So that's an excellent example of, of that principle in Scripture. Any other examples? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and that's that time where it's it's upon a man to overlook some faults, and sometimes it, it's easier just to let it go, like you said. Yeah, that's that's the the verbiage. Love covers a multitude of sins, and so again, I think especially in our relationship with other believers, we hold each other accountable to the standard of Scripture, but with an unbeliever, we show more grace, you know, as an opportunity to be a testimony. And the, the thing that when Jesus was talking, if someone tells you to carry their pack a mile, go two miles. Well, there was a Roman rule that if a soldier asked you to carry his pack, that you had to carry it a mile. But after a mile, you didn't have to carry it any further. This is historical. And so when you get the full context, you realize what Jesus is talking about. If a Roman soldier tells you to carry it a mile, go a second mile as a testimony to him. Uh, but that's another example that, that is really good. Any others? Yes. I was just thinking that um, when Jesus was giving them these examples of turn the other cheek and giving them a cloak and they asked you for a walk, you know, feed, feed your animals, it was all from a posture of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're setting the example, you're being a testimony, and it's important to forgive quickly. Jesus said, settle the matter quickly on your way to court, <laughs> or you could lose everything. But the faster you can learn to forgive, the more free you will be. Because if you don't forgive, you, you suffer through that experience over and over and over again. But when you forgive, you may still feel the after effects of it, and it takes... Remember, forgiveness is a process, but you're, you're going to be free much sooner. And so it's upon us. It's part of why husband and wife, don't let your son go down on, the, on your wrath. You know, those forgive quickly for your own sake so you can move on. Good. Excellent examples. Now, Job goes on to say in verse, chapter 16, verse 15 through 17, I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and buried my brow in the dust My face is red with weeping, deep shadows ring my eyes, yet my hands have been free of violence, and my prayer is pure. Number three, pain can purify our prayers. How so? How does pain purify our prayers? Any thoughts on that? 
Yes. Yes. It, it gets you to the heart of the matter quickly. It's, you don't pray fluffy prayers. Uh, you pray desperate prayers. And, and uh, the, the thing that, about prayer, here's the whole purpose of prayer. It'll either change others or, their, or your circumstances or it'll change you. And sometimes when we're suffering, when we're in pain, we get beyond all the fluffy stuff and just go right at the heart and, and your prayers become pure because they've been through the fire. And there's, there, you know, it's not, you're not, they're not selfish prayers anymore. Like, uh, when you're in pain uh, you're, and you're praying, you're admitting your weakness and that God is almighty and has the power inside to fix your situation. Yes, and, and God will do that. As we pray, he'll show us a mirror and what's going on in our own soul. Prayer is, is, you know, prayer is not just talking to God. There's so much depth to prayer. Prayer is the, as a medium to change us, to open our eyes, to bring revelation of who we are and who God is. And there's, there's just so much more to prayer than just talking to God. And now I know it's as simple as that, but it's more powerful than we realize. Or, and it's been often said, if people believed in the power of prayer, they would do it more. And sometimes it's, it's when we come to the end of ourselves and we are in desperate pain that prayer really becomes powerful because it's been purified. You know, we're, we're not just saying empty words or, you know, drifting off. We're passionate. And we see this principle throughout Scripture because when, our, when we are not suffering, our prayers take on a different tone, right? Job is absolutely broken but he has not retaliated and it's purified his prayers. When we are struggling, the priorities of our prayer list and prayer length change. I mean, you know, when you're in pain, you'll, you'll pray longer. You know, when you're, when you're suffering, you'll pray through. You'll pray with a greater priority of who God is. We pour out our hearts in earnest prayer. This is, this is the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Look at Lamentations 2.19. Lamentations means weeping. And it's written by Jeremiah, as you know. And he says these words, Arise, cry out in the night. As the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. I love that poetry. That's prayer. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. And this was after Jerusalem was destroyed and there was just a remnant left in the city. And, and that's why Jeremiah was weeping. Everything had been destroyed. This is where we get this in Lamentations 3 is, is your grace, or uh, what is it? Uh, Lamentations 3, something about grace. Great, your mercies are new every morning. Well, I had a senior moment. Uh, I'm having more of those, it seems. But that's prayer. Pour out your heart like water. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be even be in King James, but that's okay too. Sometimes I pray in King James. Uh, I, I grew up memorizing King James and the NIV, you know, because so I, I mix them a lot. But when we're at a place where we're pouring out our prayers like water, then we know 
we're going we're gonna to reach heaven. We're going to touch heaven. Consider Hannah. Remember Hannah? She wanted a baby so bad, and she had a, her husband had another wife. Uh, it's interesting. God never forbid polygamy, but everybody that practiced it wished they wouldn't have. <laughs> it's, it was always a mess, always, because it was never God's ideal. It was never, he allowed it, but it wasn't his plan. It's interesting because sometimes when the Assemblies of God has gone into Africa, there are tribes that practice polygamy. And so the Assemblies of God, have, we don't believe in polygamy. <laughs> and, and so we've, and historically, we, we struggled with what to do. Because in that culture, if you got rid of a wife, she could, she could die. I mean, she, there's, you know, like in Bible times, sometimes, I mean, this is another thing, if you're brothers, uh, if your brother died, you would have to marry his, his widow. And it was to protect her because she couldn't provide for herself. And so it was out of mercy. Polygamy was never God's ideal and always caused problems. And it caused problems in Hannah's family too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not legally. <laughs> Well, that's what the Assemblies of God were faced with. And they finally came to the decision, as it, as it shares in 1 Corinthians 7, however you came to the Lord, remain that way. Now, I was in a church where a, a guy had divorced his wife and married another woman, got saved, and went back to his first wife. Divorced his second wife, went back to his... They're like, no, 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 that's not... However you came to the Lord, remain that way. And so... In certain countries, the Assemblies of God allow polygamy because of the culture. And because to, to make him divorce one of those wives could mean, you know, she couldn't provide for herself. So that's the exception, not the rule. The general rule is, you know, you know what in the world would we do with more than one wife anyway, guys? Come on, give me a break. We, we're clueless with one as it is. We don't even, I don't understand. So, uh, but I think... That is the key, however you remain, and it's, on the con- it's in the context of marriage, 1 Corinthians 7. So however you came to the Lord, remain that way. Now, in this case, I don't know how they remain that way legally, uh, unless they're in a small Mormon town. But, uh, uh, so, but generally speaking, that's how we're supposed to be. So Hannah doesn't have children, and that, in that culture, that was a terrible uh, curse. And she desperately wanted a child. And so, and I will tell you this, sometimes God will bring you to desperate prayers because that's when we're ready to do whatever it takes. And, and so sometimes God is not answering our prayer because we're not desperate enough yet. Because Hannah became desperate to the point that she made a commitment that she probably wouldn't have made otherwise. Let's read it. 1 Samuel 1.13, Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. Clueless guy. 
and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of the great anguish and grief. And also it speaks of her bitterness of soul. And so what was the place God brought her to that she was willing to commit to? To give her first child up to the Lord, which was Samuel, who became the prophet that anointed David. And so had Hannah had children normally, she probably would have never made that commitment and we'd have never seen the man Samuel. But God knew to, he closed her womb to a per, for a purpose to bring her to this place of desperation where she made a vow before God, Lord, if you let me have a son, I will give him to you. And she did and had multiple children after that. But do you hear the anguish of her soul? She doesn't even take offense at, from the priest because she's, she's in this desperate place. She's pouring out her soul to the Lord. And Job is doing that as well. Look at Job 16, 18. He goes on in his painful protest, O earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Number four, pain wants to be heard. Why is that? Why does pain, if you're in pain, why do you want to tell somebody? <laughs> to, to look for help? Yep, that's one reason. To ask for prayer? What else? Okay, looking for sympathy. Sometimes the affirmation we're seeking is not going to be healthy. Other times it can be if, if it's a true caring friend. But Job wants everyone to know how, he, how much he is hurting. And he wants it to be known. He says, may my cry never be laid to rest. He wants his story told forever. And guess what? It was. And when we are in pain, we want other people to know it because very few want to suffer alone. And the old saying, misery loves company. So what we do is we have to change the way we think. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. One way to get your mind off your pain is to get your mind on these things, praiseworthy. We've got to change the way we think. And I know that when we can get, because if we're self-focused on our pain, it's just going to get worse. But if we, if we can get our thoughts on thinking like the Bible tells us, it will lessen our pain. And Job continues his discourse. Job 16, 19. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. Who's Job talking about? Verse or Number five, pain can reveal our true intercessor, Jesus. Isn't it fascinating that Job is already prophetically speaking about Jesus? He's, he's saying, who's my advocate? That's my lawyer, my attorney. Who's my witness? And my intercessor is my friend. Obviously not the three guys sitting in front of him. This is some other friend as he pours out his tears to God and he pleads with God as, as a man pleads for his friend. 
This is all, we find this in other places of scripture as well. And so what's powerful in the midst of all this suffering is Job has a revelation of Christ, an intercessor that he needs. And sometimes pain brings us to that place where we, we go to our intercessor, where we go to Jesus. And this is, and Jesus is our intercessor. Look at Hebrews 7.23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. King James ever liveth to make intercession. Jesus ever lives to intercede for you and me to the Father. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. That is so true. And, you know, sometimes our pain is physical. Sometimes it's emotional. You know, have you, have you, you know, have you ever hurt for someone, maybe a child, a wayward child or a grandchild, and you just, the pain. But I'll tell you what, that pain will drive us to our knees and we will pray for our children and grandchildren or, or mom and dad or whoever it may be, we will pray for them because of the pain in our heart. And you're exactly right. Sometimes that uh, it purifies our prayers. Yes? And that, it's an excellent scripture. And Paul, some believe, was suffering with pain. Of some thorn in his side, it could have been an eye disease or a demonic attack. But that's how he was able to say my, God's grace is... How else will we know if God's grace is enough unless we're brought to that place where it's all we have? Excellent. And so Job concludes his lament. Only a few years will pass before I go on the journey of no return. Number six, pain can lead to fatalism. Woe is me. I'll never get through this. Remember I said that pain can be good for us or bad for us. And so we look at Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed with us. Our pain will never outshine the glory. Never. And that day will come and then 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, which is another thing pain does, just renews 
renews us day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The glory will be greater than your pain. So we fix our eyes not, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This pain is accomplishing for us a greater glory. And if we want to seek God's glory in our life, we can see it through the suffering that comes into our life. And number seven, we close with this. Pain will be permanently alleviated in heaven. There are several things in Revelation 22 that says there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, and very specifically, no more pain. Can you imagine no pain for eternity? Just peace, joy, but never again will we experience pain. That alone is worth going to heaven for. (laughs) Let's pray. God, I thank you that there's purpose in our pain. God, as C.S. Lewis said, pain is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Lord, first we ask you would heal us of our pain, but we would also ask that you would teach us by our pain that your grace is sufficient. Lord, it's all we need. And Lord, we're not to be masochists and and want to be in pain or to bring pain upon ourselves. But Lord, when there's pain in life, I pray we would turn to our intercessor, our mediator, because Jesus, you ever live to intercede for us. And Lord, we know that pain purifies our prayers and draws us closer to you. And we, we get a greater revelation of who you are many times in the suffering. So God, I just, I just pray for healing, healing of pain, healing of physical pain, emotional pain, the pain from broken relationships. Lord, we, just, we, we cast it all on you because you care for us. And so Lord, heal us of our pain, but in the meantime, help us learn what you want us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.